And so the social media messaging around weight and appearance really kicked it up a notch. And because we were in this like, oh no, it's a pandemic, we're home, our routines are changing, let's not gain weight, let's not have our weight change. So there was also this huge flood about weight and appearance and weight stigma and dieting and home activities that really kind of collided. To- this is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me here on the Mom Squad Pod, where we talk all things parenting. And today we're tackling a topic that I've been having on my list for months, and I've been thinking about for the past few weeks, especially. We're talking about that report, that internal report from Facebook about how Instagram can cause mental health issues, especially in teenage girls. And I know it's even far reaching beyond teenage girls. So to help me break this down on how to keep our kids and ourselves mentally healthy, I am bringing in Chief Strategy Officer with the EMILY program, Jillian Lampert. Jillian, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you, um, as soon as you heard about this report, this internal review that, um, you know, the, the internal document saying, we knew this was causing problems. We knew that there is a trend of mental health, especially body image issues with teenage girls. What was your first thought when you heard that? Well, I wasn't actually surprised that there was an intentionality behind really steering people, kids, adults across the board to, to content, right? That's what social media platforms do. And we, we know that content around messages around weight and shape and appearance and acceptability are so strong anyway, that it wasn't really surprising. It was very sad and unfortunate and disheartening, but not surprising. And I think that begs a lot of questions about like, why is that not surprising? And what do we do about it? I think we should establish too, the EMILY program. Tell me about what you do and what you're seeing on a regular basis. And then also, have you been seeing more patients come in ever since this rise of social media? Absolutely. So the EMILY program is an eating disorder treatment program. We treat all kinds of eating disorders in people of all ages. We have locations all over the the country, including multiple locations in Cleveland and in Ohio. And we really are seeing this incredible increase in people needing care. And we know that before the pandemic, we were probably able to treat as a, as a, as a eating disorder treatment world of people like, like our program that treats people with eating disorders. We know that we probably were treating anywhere between maybe 20 to 40% of people who have an eating disorder. That's how we were doing before because there's stigma and there's misinformation and there's not enough access to care and people don't know that these things they're struggling with are eating disorders. So lots of reasons for that. What we saw during the pandemic really is starting at about last, roughly last fall. So just, uh, you know, 14 or 15 months ago, the beginnings of this just flood of calls for care around an eating disorder. And for some people, it was a it was a brand new eating disorder. They had never, there were parents who were saying, I've never seen this in my kid before, or people themselves saying, I don't know what this is. Can I get some help? And we were also getting calls from people who've had an eating disorder in the past, who were doing really well and had a, a reoccurrence or had a relapse because they were of their experience in the pandemic. And the, the pieces that people share of that experience were, were multiple, right? We had this situation where we were, 
really isolated. We're all sort of home in our own spaces and not connecting to people that we, we love and care for and that support us in the same kind of way. We weren't able to see them in person in the same kind of way. And we had this really a strong attachment to social media, right? Because our phones, you know, I always do this when I talk about social media, like I look at my hand because that's where we put our phones and we, we look at our phones. And that became one of the major ways we connected with not only social media that we might've looked at before, but with each other, with the world, with our, like our very existence. And so the social media messaging around weight and appearance really kicked it up a notch. And because we were in this like, oh no, it's a pandemic, we're home, our routines are changing, let's not gain weight, let's not have our weight change. So there was also this huge flood about weight and appearance and weight stigma and dieting and home activities that really kind of collided to form the, you know, the, this perfect storm of, of a collision that, that said, okay, we have isolation, we have lots of social media pressure around dieting and changing the way you look and changing the way you eat, and we don't have the same connections and the same support we have. And so people started doing all kinds of things with their food and their body and their weight that, that happened before, but in a whole sort of new intensified way. And so we saw a, a doubling of phone calls and website visits for people needing services. And we're continuing to see that still. It just has continued to, to rise and stay very, very high. When you see that increase, um... Is it twofold? Like you're you're glad people are reaching out and needing help, but then that also means there's probably a lot of people out there that aren't reaching out that are still. Is it an increase in in cases, or do you think it's an increase in people who are seeking help? Is it both? I think it's both. I think we see an increase in cases. Definitely, these are. I think we will see this as probably a generational effect as we do our large epidemiological population-based studies, I think we'll see an increase in eating disorders. And I think we're seeing, you know, maybe a, a benefit, if you can call it that, or an optimistic one thing that came out of this is that the stigma around mental health and eating disorders specifically is starting to drop a bit, right? We've all realized that our mental health, our emotional health, how we feel about ourselves and how we, we sit with ourselves has come out as really conversations that are had almost every day, right? It's hard to pick up any sort of publication or look at anything online or anything anywhere that doesn't say something about mental health. So the whole, our whole country, I think, is, is more aware of mental health conditions and that mental health conditions impact all of us, that we know that lots and lots of people struggle with anxiety and with depression and other mental health conditions, and lots of people struggle with an eating disorder. And now we're talking about it. That's a really positive outcome. There's a lot of conversation about, well, what can we do about that? And I, even this Instagram report really fueled a lot of that conversation between the report and then the, the Senate hearings and the congressional hearings on, on Facebook and Instagram and all the social media pieces that it's now part of our lexicon, just part of our dialogue. That's good because it brings more awareness and it helps people to feel like, oh, okay, I might have this thing. I should go get somebody to help me with that versus, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody about this because I don't really quite understand what's going on and I'm sure nobody else will. That's not true. We will understand. There are, there are sources of help and mental health conditions do happen and people should get care. And I, I've been out uh, and I've visited the EMILY program before pre-pandemic and we actually featured um, a young man who as a teenage boy, like playing football, he started really uh, just 
being very strict about his eating and, and weight loss and, and watching that. So this is, I know that the report with Facebook and Instagram focused on teen girls, but we know that this can reach teen boys as well. And it can reach adults. I mean, I, I, I find myself looking and, and searching healthy recipes and everything, but with teens, especially, um, you know, you, you're, you're talking about, um, about very adult thoughts of being able to recognize, oh, wait, something's wrong with me. And I feel like that's, that might be something more of an adult might come to realize. So twofold, we have teens who might not have the maturity to scroll through social media and realize, oh my gosh, this is Photoshopped or, Hey, this is not real life. I know that this person is not perfect and eating only chicken and broccoli every day and, and looking like that. Um, so when you, when you are working with teens, what is that hurdle when it comes to the maturity of recognizing reality and, and um, Instagram, I don't know, fake world, and then also realizing the need to get help and that this is not healthy and normal? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, it's absolutely key what you're saying that adolescents, part of their job as adolescents, as teens, is to connect to their peers, right? That's part of their developmental work that they have to do. And so when their teens are all, their, their peers are all online and they're connecting through social media through these really strongly curated perspectives of each other. That's one of the things that we talk to teens and, and adults a lot about. That, that we don't, you know, even if you follow somebody on Instagram or some other social platform where you see them in their sort of regular life, quote unquote, have, it's still a very curated version of their regular life. They're still taking multiple shots at the right angle and the right lighting and all of those things to get the view of themselves they want you to see or they want to share. And so helping teens to remember that exactly right, what they see is is not really, if you walked into that person's house, they might not look exactly like that sitting at their table drinking coffee, or they might not actually pose in their backyard or in the middle of the street, just randomly. They're really curating a view of who they wanna be. That's our, our best selves. And that's part of teen development is wanting to put your best self out there and have people like you and appreciate it. So I think really counseling teens, and we talk to, to teens a lot when they come in for treatment, around, you know, I, I know it's hard to look at all of that and see that and think that people have this perfect life. And it's, a, it's, a, it's like visiting a, a museum. You're just seeing what they want you to see. And with the report around that came out on Instagram, you're also seeing what Instagram algorithms are feeding you. And that's the part that I think makes it really difficult to discern between reality and, and fiction and get a balanced view of things because the algorithms that drive the content you see on your social media platform are very strong. And so if you start to look at something, we all see this, right? You start to look at something and you get more and more and more and more of that. And before you really realize it, it's sort of all you're getting. And so your entire feed becomes about that thing or those topics or associated topics. And pretty soon people start to kind of lose touch with or, or lose exposure to the other things that are out there, the alternative um, concepts that they might be able to, you know, totally different topics that they could look at or different areas of interest that they could look at. And their worlds become really focused on these appearance and healthy and weight and weight loss focused topics that make it really hard to remember that that is only one tiny slice of the world, that there's a lot more world out there. And we as adults need to help teens remember that. And we need to remember it ourselves. For parents out there, you kind of think, okay, well, I, my child has never had 
any issues before. Here's a happy, healthy, for the most part, teen that has friends. But seeing all of these messages, um, I'm just thinking, you know, like I, I've, I've never, even as a teenager, I was never one of those pers- people who had abs, you know, and it just, there is, that was just not my body type, but my friends did. And as teenagers, it was like, what my friends eating pizza can eat a whole pizza. Well, I could never be that, that kid. So you have not only the Instagram um, and, and the photos and social media messaging coming through, but then you, teens just naturally compare their lives to what their friends are going through, what their friends are wearing and their friends' body types. Is that enough in of by itself to, to trigger some sort of eating disorder or unhealthy habit in a teen if everything else in their life is going right? It can be. It can be. We tend to see this, this little perfect storm with the development of an eating disorder. There's generally very strong influence externally around <clears throat> weight and appearance. <clears throat> so there's very generally very strong influence externally from weight and appearance and, and acceptability and what it is to look cool and look good that we all live in, right? So that in itself is not enough just by itself, but because people have this really strong uh, sort of steady flow coming into their lives, that's really encouraging them to do something or be something, teens and adults alike, we try something like, but we try to go on a specific diet or we try to get something, you know, we try this new exercise, or we try this new workout or we try whatever the, the suggestion is. And so the combination of, of the messaging and then the trying to change something about ourselves combined with some really strong genetics. We know that people who end up with eating disorders are very likely genetically predisposed to develop an eating disorder in the face of those strong risk factors of lots of exposure of of what we should look like to be okay and changing the way that we eat or work out or, or attend to our bodies. And so you take that sort of genetics plus strong exposure plus doing something that changes our, our daily habits, that's where the eating disorder comes out of. And if you think about what to do about that, one of the, the things you can really be talking about with your kids and, and with yourself is, you know, I can't change my genetics, so I can just sort of, you know, manage who I am and celebrate that piece and, and go with the, you know, go with it and sort of be the best me I can be. But I can do something about the other two. I can really think about like, okay, what am I ingesting in terms of my social media stream? And what are you, what are your kids looking at? Do you, do you follow your kids on Instagram? Do you know if your kids have an Insta, another Instagram account, a Finsta account or a spam account? Because that's where a lot of the real stuff happens on Instagram. And so making sure you know what your child's social media experience is and you're talking about it because if you don't bring up those other you know parts of the world it's easy to forget they're there and so really encouraging your child and just commenting on things like oh I saw that thing what do you think about that kids have lots of ideas and they're so engaged ask them we you know we as adults we really need to listen to them and hear what they say and you know help sort of guide them in ways that that help them to be their their best selves but we also need to look out for what they're doing about it so if your kid is suddenly you know exercising more or exercising in their room with the door closed every day all the time or you don't really know what they're doing or they've already always already eaten or they're just not interested in what's for dinner or they're just too busy and they're going to cook themselves ask some questions. That's when you want to really kind of keep keep an eye on things that the kids are supposed to be developmentally becoming more independent. That's their job. 
And if you start to get the least bit concerned, look around and, and be curious because you know your child best and you know if something's off. If their mood changes, if they become more isolated or more irritable. When we go on a diet as humans, we get so crabby generally. So if that happens, that's a, that's a red flag. Take a look, look for those things. And, and you, generally people will sort of knit together this string of red flags and say, uh-oh, something's going on. Yeah. What about even the trend of just, I mean, there's such a trend of healthy eating and incorporating all sorts of health foods. I mean, if your child or teenager is, is really kind of paying attention to exactly what goes in their mouth, going gluten-free, um, dairy-free, you know, and, and being, being very particular about, well, I don't eat that. Instead, I eat this and I substitute this in. Is that concerning or is that a health trend? How do you tell the difference? I usually think it's concerning. I say a, a couple of things that I've said to my clients over the years. You know, eating is not supposed to be a math problem. That eating is really a connection to our internal experience. So instead of worrying about like, is this the right thing to eat? Am I eating the right amount? Am I eating the right kind of it? Think instead about what do I want? Am I hungry? How do I know if I'm hungry? So many people just eat when it's time to eat or eat when somebody gives them food or eat because we feel guilty or we don't want to offend anybody or all those things that those emotions that get connected to food situations. But are we hungry and how do we know? Really teaching kids to remember what it's like that when their body says they're hungry. With little kids, they do a great job of that. And then as, as the society gets involved, we sort of train kids out of that. And that's unfortunate. That how do we know if we're hungry? And how do we know when we're satisfied? That I would much rather have people paying attention to like, huh, am I hungry? What am I hungry for? Okay, here are the things that I have. I might not necessarily be hungry for those, but you know what? I need to eat, I need fuel. Our bodies are an amazing machine that needs fuel. And that, that can work. And then I'm gonna eat until I'm satisfied, that I really feel you know, not overly full, that I'm satisfied. And then I can move on. I can eat more later. It's not gonna be like, I'm never gonna get food again, hopefully. This is the time to just eat now and then to let it go and move on to the next thing. I'd much rather have people focused on that experience and connecting that experience versus like this article on whatever social media platform told me with no substantiation of facts at all that if I eat these three foods, life will be magic. So I think that's a really important thing to be thinking about is what's driving people's food choices. Is it a page on their phone or is it, hmm, what am I hungry for? What am I, what am I satisfied? What do I want to eat? Yeah. You kind of touched upon it too, with with just biologically when kids start to make that switch over. And I want to bring that part into the conversation because kids are getting on social media younger and younger. I mean, I have Facebook Messenger for my kids where I'm trying to control it, but then I know other families, kids do have social media accounts at a really young age. What age do you start to see patients come in? What, what age are you seeing that, that switch over into a, more of a, an awareness of body image and, and where some health issues could possibly start? Yeah, we, we tend to see when, when kids come in with an eating disorder that have that body image connection or something around body image or concern about weight or shape or, or dieting, that is usually around 12, 12, 13 is when that often can start. 
there is an eating disorder uh, called ARFID that's avoidant restrictive food intake disorder that often starts earlier, starts in younger kids. That's really what, what we tend to refer to in the sort of mainstream conversation about it as picky eating. The kids are really, really, really picky and it can be a texture issue, it can be multiple texture issue or fear related to choking or gagging. And so we see little kids with that, that often we'll see three or four or five, six year old kids who are have such picky eating that they're, their growth is starting to be compromised. And so we can see that kind of eating disorder in really young kids, but in our in our inpatient and, and residential adolescent programs and our outpatient programs for adolescent and kids, we tend to see that sort of 12, 13 is when kids really start to come in worrying about their bodies, which makes sense, right? The average age of puberty is dropping a bit. That starts around 11 or 12 and kids start to get that social response about their bodies and, you know, ooh, can't remember the awkward feeling of, of being in seventh grade as a just a you know really difficult time to be in the bodies we're in and face right. the world. So we tend to see that body image piece start about then. And sometimes it can go on for a number of months or years before somebody actually comes in for treatment because it can fly sort of under the radar for a while. What kind of advice do you have for parents who um, have young kids and, or maybe they have teens now and, and they wanna make sure that they are supporting a healthy body image and helping to um, steer their, their child in the right direction in terms of social media use and self-confidence and like I said, body image issues. I think it's, it's a, such an important and hopefully not terribly difficult thing to do. And it starts with us, it starts with us as the parent, is us as adults. And it starts with what we say. And so we think a lot about what, what should we say? What do I say? And I think that, you know, we know that what we say to our kids has a lot of power, even when it feels like it might not have much influence, it does. That the things that we can say and check ourselves around are, what am I saying about my body? What am I saying about other people's bodies? What am I saying about what I see on social media? What do my kids hear me say about myself? And so if you're getting ready for work in the morning or getting dressed or you're getting ready to go wherever it is and your child hears you say something negative about yourself, oh, I don't like these jeans or I, oh, I gotta change my diet. I gotta start, gotta cut this out. I gotta cut that out. I gotta lose weight, whatever it is, right? We just say these things. When kids hear that, they often think, maybe nothing, but then as over time builds up, they hear over and over and again, they might start to think like, well, if my parent who like little kids tend to think their parents are kind of rock stars, they're, you know, pretty much the, the, they're doing great. And when they hear their parents say negative things about their body, they're, they're like, we're saying negative things about the kid's superhero. Like that feels really bad to kids. Like, oh, I don't know why my mom doesn't like herself. I adore her. Not that kids are like, you know, consciously sitting down in their toys thinking, gee, I don't know why mommy doesn't like herself. But over the period of, over a course of time, kids internalize that and start to worry about themselves. Like, well, if my mom, who I think is wonderful and amazing, isn't okay, what does that mean about me? So it really starts with us. It really starts with us sharing those strong perspectives of acceptance and celebration of the body with our with our children. Like, wow, I'm so proud of my body. I went and raked leaves all weekend before it snowed. I'm so happy that I had the strength to do that. And you were such a good helper when you picked up the rake and helped me rake. Your body is strong too. And that says a lot about what our bodies can do, not what they don't look like or how they don't compare. And so when we, we really can help our kids celebrate their bodies by celebrating ours, what are, what are the cool things our bodies can do? And changing our dialogue to be around those concepts 
will really help kids to develop and maintain that strong body image. So when they look at those photos, they can be like, oh, whatever, that's not that meaningful to me. And we can continue a dialogue that we need to keep talking to our kids about how much social media they're using, set guard, guardrails and guidelines around what their social media use is and what we expect of it and have a lot of ongoing conversations. I think that's good practice for not only our kids' benefit, but for our own benefit too, to remind ourselves that we look great. Nothing's wrong with us. We are beautiful the way we are. I think that I think every adult probably needs a little bit more positive self-talk. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jillian Lambert with the Emily program. Thank you so much for taking the time today. This was a, a great resource, especially as we start to navigate social media and our kids getting into it. And, and like you said, the pandemic has just put us all in, a, in an odd place. So I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. It's a, it's a great topic we need to keep talking about. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be checking in with you again. And to all of you, thanks for tuning in to the Mom Squad Pod. We'll see you right back here next time. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.